0: This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining me for another episode of our Daily Bible Study. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. It says, Now, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came from the sky a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Tongues like fire appeared and were distributed to them, and one set on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak." First, the day of Pentecost was a celebration. It was 50 days after the Passover. It's also called the Feast of Harvest or First Fruits. And the Jews celebrated God blessing them with the harvest and the giving of the law. This was the first covenant. And now the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost was going to be Uh, With the new covenant, the church would be established with a new covenant and would have God's laws written in their hearts by the Spirit instead of upon tablets of stone. And the power of the Holy Ghost was going to equip his disciples to work the field, and now there would be a great harvest of souls that would follow. And so suddenly there was a sound that says it was like a mighty wind and that they, they saw or it could be translated as they witnessed or experienced something like tongues of fire that settled on each of them. Now, remember, Jesus had compared the birth of the Spirit to the sound of wind in John chapter 3, uh, verse 7 and 8. He said, "'Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wants and you hear its sound.'" but don't know where it comes from and where it is going. It's important. He says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so being born of the Spirit, there was going to be a sound. You wouldn't see where it came from, but there would be a sound just like the rushing of the wind. What about tongues like fire? What could this be describing? Well, Jeremiah Uh, famously said in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 when he had a word from God in his heart he said it's in my heart and it was a burning fire shut up in my bones I am weary with holding it in I can't he says it's just something it feels like it's got to come out I've got a word from God and so both of these are descriptions of what it was like when the spirit came, they were praying and seeking God, and suddenly the spirit moves in, and there is this audible change in the sound um and and you couldn't see where it came from, but you could hear the difference, the sound of their prayers, and then a word was given to each of them from God that was burning inside of them that had to come out and so verse two and three tells me or tells us what. This was like, but verse 4 clearly actually tells us what happened. It says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. And so, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the sound that accompanied it, this, uh, what was burning inside of them. Uh, was a praise to God, we'll see, but it was in another language than their native language. They spoke, but it was the Spirit that was actually giving the utterance. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under the sky. When this sound was heard, the multitude came together and were bewildered because everyone heard them speaking in his own tongue they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another behold aren't all these who speak Galileans how do we hear everyone in our own native language Parthians Medes Elamites and the people from Mesopotamia Judea Cappadocia Pontus Asia Phrygia Pamphylia Egypt and the parts of Libya around Cyrene visitors from Rome Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in our own language the mighty works of God. They were all amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And so this is noised about, and they hear the sound. Now, some people believe that, um, similar to how I just described it, that the sound of them speaking in tongues was being compared to the, the sound of wind and the of fire, others see these as um, supernatural signs that there was literally the sound of a rushing wind, even though it says it was like a wind, and there was literally tongues of fire above their heads. Um, if this was a sign, it it was a one-time occurrence. What we'll find throughout the book of Acts, the ongoing sign, whenever someone receives the Holy Ghost, is that they speak with other tongues. And so whether it's these external signs or they, they hear um, the speaking in tongues that first attracts their attention, what, what holds their attention is the fact they're speaking in tongues. And I believe that's probably evidence um, that it it might have been just describing the actual speaking in tongues, that it wasn't a different uh, supernatural sign. Because when the people are there, instead of saying, what in the world, that sounded like a hurricane, and can you see the fire burning above their heads? Instead, all of their questions were based on the fact that the people were speaking in languages that they understood. Now, remember that probably due to the feast. Passover and Pentecost, it says there are devout Jews from all over the empire that have come together. They're obeying the law and coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. Um, now, their common language among the Jews would have been Aramaic. They could have spoken this, um, especially if they were devout, they were familiar with the religious practices, but also even if they weren't of Jewish descent and they weren't as familiar with it or they just weren't as familiar with the Aramaic language, across the empire, there was a common language. The people all spoke Greek. And so tongues weren't necessary to communicate. And we'll see this because Peter is able to get up and preach later, and there's no mention of any type of translation or people using a gift of tongues it wasn't for the purpose of evangelism for people who couldn't understand in fact there's there's no implication here that the disciples were even trying to speak to the people as they spoke in tongues whenever the people gathered around instead they heard them praising god in various languages and and tongues are just languages and languages that the disciples hadn't learned it was just supernaturally happening um, so, tongues served as a miraculous sign to the crowd that assembled because they heard these Galileans, just common people speaking in the native tongue of all of these various regions and so the result of this miraculous sign was similar to what it is today. It says they had bewilderment, amazement, they were marveling, and I doubt this was strictly due to them speaking in tongues um that that they said in addition to all of that that some were mocking and and said well these people are drunk and and that's the part i doubt was due to them strictly just from speaking in tongues because um, usually you don't think of a, a drunkard being able to speak in various languages we would instead think that would make someone possibly educated not drunk so what what was it what was the sign that made them think that they were drunk. Well, we know that they were in the upper room praising God, and then somehow it spills out to the crowd on the street. So I'm thinking it must have been one incredible demonstrative worship service. And the Jews, when they worshiped, already were demonstrative. They sang, they danced, they clapped their hands, But this was like something they had never seen before. And the crowd said, wow, these guys, they must be drunk on some new wine. And the crowd asked this question when they heard them speaking in tongues. They said, how do we hear everyone in our own native language? And what does this, speaking in tongues, what does this mean? And so this is what Peter answers when he stands up. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and spoke out to them. You men of Judea and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words. For these aren't drunken as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Yes, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. It will be that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is quoting from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. This mighty evidence, uh, our experience, evidence with tongues was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel that they had waited on for so many uh, centuries. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And prophesy doesn't always mean to foretell the future, but to foretell, to speak under the unction of the Holy Ghost. And it was going to be universally available. It's it's not just for the original apostles or even for the early church. But in the last days, it would be for sons and daughters and young and old and servants and handmaidens. And this would be true until the great and glorious day of the Lord's coming. And so uh, he goes on to say it's going to be that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is in conjunction with receiving the Spirit. And It's not meant uh, as a formula or incantation like abracadabra, where you just say Jehovah or you say Jesus and and that's when it comes to pass. But instead, this is emphasizing the universality of of salvation and Spirit outpouring. It's to whoever will call on the name of the Lord, whoever will seek it in faith. Um, Verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God to you by mighty works and wonders and signs which God did by him among you, even as you yourselves know, him being delivered up by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by the hand of lawless men, crucified and killed, whom God raised up, having freed him from the agony of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh also will dwell in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades, neither will you allow your Holy One to see decay. You made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may tell you freely of the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he foreseeing this spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul wasn't left in Hades and his flesh didn't see decay. This Jesus God raised up. To which we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted by the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord says to my Lord, sit by my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let all the house of Israel therefore know certainly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so Peter preaches the first gospel message, and it has the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He quotes from Psalm 16 to prove that the resurrection was prophesied and that he and the disciples that are gathered with him are witnesses. They saw the risen Lord firsthand. And then he says, he not only rose from the dead, but he ascended a little higher to heaven. And now he's outpouring the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 33, again, it proves that speaking in tongues was the evidence of the fulfillment of this promise. He says, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, which you now see and hear. Well, what did they see and hear? They saw and heard people worshiping God, speaking in other tongues. And so the exaltation of Christ is described as being seated in heaven on the right hand. And we'll probably do a little Bible study on this on one of our Saturdays. But this isn't a literal place. It's speaking of power and authority. This expression is used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the context here proves that it's intended to be figurative because he's quoting from a poetic psalm and it not only describes him as seated on the right hand, but his enemies as a footstool for his feet. So it's showing that he is exalted in the power of God. Peter concludes uh, with the powerful truth that Jesus was both the one Lord and also the Christ, the anointed one that was to come. Verse 37 Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, when we begin our study in the book of Acts, we read from Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to reference this quite a bit whenever we see conversions in the book of Acts. Hebrews chapter 6 said our foundation was repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. And so in Peter's message here, we we hear of um the fact that we have to repent and believing in Christ, and then he teaches on baptism of water and baptism of spirit. And then we're going to read more that um, he's, well, we, we mentioned that his message was saying, save yourself. From this crooked generation. And so as we continue to read down after Acts 2.38, Acts 2.39, it tells us what he's talking about is the judgment to come. And he speaks of the resurrection of Christ. And so we see all of these elements here from Hebrews chapter 6 are included in this very first gospel message. Um, not only did We see this in Hebrews, but remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 24. Um, This was the last things Jesus said before he ascended. And he told them that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. And what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And Jesus said, "Repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of My Father." The very next thing Peter says is, "The promises unto you." And so Peter's first message—we know he got it right because his first message was just a retelling of Jesus' last message. When they said, men and brethren, what what must we do? What should we do? They're cut to the heart. How do we respond to this gospel? Um, and he said you've got to repent, which is to turn from a life of sin and seek after God in his righteous way. And then he said, everyone needs to be baptized. And he tells us how in the name of Jesus Christ, that we we orally invoke the name of the Lord. And we do this for the forgiveness of our sins. He said, the promise of the spirit is for everyone that God calls. Now, this is still quoting from Joel chapter two. And what we find is the Lord calls those that call on His name for salvation. Uh, Joel, Joel chapter two says it will happen that whoever will call on the na- on Yahweh's name shall be saved, and it says, as Yahweh has said, and among the remnant, those whom Yahweh calls. And so it's one, he's speaking of the Spirit here, but Joel was speaking of salvation. So we see the importance of receiving the promise of the Spirit. And Joel said, the Lord's going to call these people, but first they call on the Lord. And then verse 40, I mentioned it, but it is summarizing the message that Peter preached. Uh, it's it's not in addition to Acts two thirty eight two thirty nine but it says with many other words he said and then it summarizes the message he tells them to save themselves and how are they going to do this well by believing and obeying so Acts two thirty eight. Is is the high points when he says repent, be baptized. The promises to you. It's the high points of the very first altar call. Those who received the word, how could you tell they received it? Well, they were baptized immediately, and three thousand were added to them. And so, what we find, without exception is that the moment someone confessed to have faith in Christ, they were always baptized in water. That moment, they didn't wait. There wasn't a baptism Sunday. There wasn't a a public service ever, but we're going to see in the book of Acts in the middle of the night, in the middle of the desert, in, in their home, it didn't matter. As soon as someone said they believed, they were expected to act immediately upon their faith and be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ with the expectation that there was a promise of the Spirit that they would receive as well verse forty two they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sowed their possessions and goods and distributed them to all according as any one had need, day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the assembly day by day those who were being saved. So notice after this initial experience, it was important that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued in prayer. We need doctrine. We need the church. And we need the power of God. We must be a praying people. And so God confirmed the early church with wonders and signs. And evidently, most of these that first received the Spirit Um, didn't return to their home, but they stayed with the church in Jerusalem. And so the early Christians sacrificed and shared with these brothers and sisters that were in need. They gave to them according to, to their need um, and then they went together into the temple they met together in each other's home and it says this togetherness they were unified with one accord and with singleness of heart they praised God and it turns out that kind of church not only attracts the power of God but it's attractive to unbelievers and so they found favor with the people and the Lord added to the church Let's pray together and ask that we could have this exact same experience, that we would have a rich and deep outpouring of the Holy Ghost among us, and that God would add to the church. If you've never received the Spirit with the evidence of other tongues, I can speak as a witness that it is for you and it is today, and it will radically change your life. The Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I've seen Him feel literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of others. So let's pray together right now. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. I, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to receive your word. I pray that you would baptize your church afresh with the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Let it be like fire burning inside of us, Lord. I ask that you would, would let that heavenly wind blow on us again. I pray, Lord, that we would be an obedient people, that we would call on your name in repentance, and in baptism as we seek after your spirit, Lord, and that we would believe it in our hearts, confess it with our mouth, that we would speak the name of Jesus and that your spirit would give us utterance that we could pray and praise and prophesy. You said it was for everyone that you would call, Lord. So we call on you right now, asking that you would add to the church. I ask that you would unite us together and fellowship, make us one body, make us one people. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Join me again tomorrow for another episode.